Welcome to anyone who uh, has been able to tune into this live stream and also welcome to anyone that might uh, get to listen to this podcast uh, later on. Um, I want to say thanks uh, in the first instance to my uh, young fellow here, Aidan, uh, who's in grade five, he's 10 years old. He's been kind enough to uh, agree to assist me today. Uh, obviously, given the um, current uh, coronavirus uh, social distancing rules, uh, yeah, I'm unable to uh, run these sessions at the moment from uh, the University of Melbourne, where we usually do them, uh, since the university is now shut uh, and has moved into uh, entirely online mode. Yeah, I'm forced to um, run these sessions from home. Uh, I do find it difficult to speak to uh, no one but a camera, so uh, I'm glad that Aidan's been able to uh, sit here and listen to me. Um, today's session, inshallah, is going to be based on a section of the Risali known as the uh, addendum to the 14th word. Okay, so it's from the words collection. Okay, um, and it's the 14th word and the addendum to that. As I mentioned last week, um, when we um, uh, had the previous episode of this podcast uh, at Melbourne Uni, um, I mentioned that we'd have a two-part discussion on the issue of um, widespread calamities. Uh, and in particular, I referred last week to the you know, current health crisis, the coronavirus. Um, but we could also... Um, you know, in the same breath, uh, mention, you know, things like earthquakes, um, anything of that nature. Um, I said that we'd have a two-part discussion on that to talk about a few issues. Um, uh, in particular, why is it that Allah being, um, you know, an absolute being, an absolutely good being, um, an absolutely loving, uh, caring, uh, kind, merciful and compassionate being, why is it that a, that a being like this allows these kinds of events to occur or causes these kinds of events to occur? Um, and uh, we mentioned last week that large part of the answer to that is going to relate to um, certain kinds of wrongdoing, right? A certain sense of wrongdoing that we human beings are engaging. But then there was the problem of um, what about the fact that these calamities such as the coronavirus, it also inflicts, it also impacts not just wrongdoers, but even um, people like, say, Aiden, right? Aiden, uh, how old are you? Ten years old, right? So are you old enough at the moment to, as far as you know, are you old enough to uh, commit sin in Allah's view at the moment? Probably not, right? How old do you have to be? You have to be probably something, somewhere closer to, closer to 15, right? So what about all the Aidens of the world? You know, um, what about, yeah, all the children? Uh, what about all the babies? Um, what about all the um, uh, very pious people, you know, that as much as possible avoid uh, all kinds of wrongdoing? And there are people like that. Right? There, are, there is a minority of persons like that. Um, these persons are afflicted by, you know, the earthquake or the coronavirus just as much as um, the wrongdoers among us. So... Um, why is it that Allah allows persons like this to be impacted? Okay. Um, 
So we wanted to answer questions of this nature and last week we looked at the issue more from the perspective of um, the non-wrongdoer, right? So let's say, well, primarily the non-wrongdoer but also um, the believers in general, you know, who might be wrongdoers to a lesser extent than the non-believer, let's say. Um, for persons like this, how can something like an earthquake or a coronavirus um, be beneficial, right? In what way can it help them? Um, in what way could it be just and merciful indeed uh, for God to allow these persons to be afflicted by these sorts of things? And we spoke in particular about weakness and poverty, okay? The fact that us human beings are completely needy and yet completely unable to meet our own needs ourselves, okay? Um, now, we said that what happens is that uh, often we forget about our weakness and poverty. Often we forget that we are needy and, and, and unable to meet our own needs ourselves. Okay? Uh, and there are a number of reasons for that. Um, chief among them, the fact that you know, we're immersed in a realm, which is a testing realm, where there are causes that seem to have uh, the power to bring about their own effects. Right? Um, of course, Bethesda will say that these causes are merely uh, apparent causes, uh, but nonetheless, it appears at first glance that they're efficient. Like, it appears, for example, doesn't it, Aiden, like when it rains, where does the rain appear to come from? The sky. The sky, and like the clouds in it, right? So it looks like it's thanks to the sky and the clouds in it that the rain comes, doesn't it? Um, so then, therefore, we could be forgiven, maybe, right? you know, if we don't think about the matter at least um, hard enough, yeah, one might be forgiven for thinking, well, yeah, it's not God that causes the rain, it's the cloud or the sky or the atmosphere. Um, we live in a realm like this where it's easy to forget the fact that moment by moment we are entirely dependent upon Allah for every drop of rain that falls from the sky, every crumb of food that we eat, every little thing that we do, um, every one of our preferences that's satisfied or every one of our needs that is met um, is due entirely to Allah, purely to Allah. Um, yeah, we often forget that. You know, um, we make the mistake of seeing ourselves as being other than weak and impoverished. We see ourselves as being strong, powerful and resourceful, wealthy, capable of meeting our own needs ourselves, in other words. So what happens is that Allah reminds us in various ways of the fact that we're weak and impoverished. And what that does, we said last week, is that it facilitates worship. In particular, it facilitates thankfulness. Okay? So, you know, just imagine this. Um, you know, um, here, here's a uh, packet of... Um, so I see that Aiden has a packet of uh, Smith's salt and vinegar chips, right? Aiden's favourite. Okay. Got a packet of salt vinegar chips there. Um, he puts his hand in there, he takes one out, he eats it. Okay. Um, now, imagine that Aiden has no idea, right? He has no idea that somebody um, had to actually, you know, go to the effort of growing potatoes, um, peeling those potatoes, chopping them up, cooking them, putting them in a bag, delivering them, and so on, you know. Imagine that Aiden wasn't aware, you know, being a young child, let's say he wasn't aware of all of this. And Aiden thinks, let's say, that all he needs to do to procure um, some Smith's chips is just to go to the pantry and grab them, you know. Um, 
if that's the case, if he overlooks the fact that a range of persons have needed to do a range of things, in particular, his mother or father have had to go to work and exert themselves all day to earn money so as to go and buy those chips that have been prepared by someone um, and sold in a shop. Um, we've had to exert ourselves to go and buy those chips so that he can eat them. Imagine that he's unaware of all this. He thinks that, look, every time I go to the pantry, there are chips there. Okay, I can just go to the pantry and get them at any time. Um, he overlooks the fact that his parents had to work to earn money for him to be able to do that. What's going to happen? What is he going to neglect to do? What's he going to be unable to do? Can you guess? I wouldn't be able to eat. You'd, would you be able to say thank you? No. You, would, you wouldn't be able to say thanks. right? Because you'd think that it's thanks to you that you're able to procure the chips. I mean, maybe it's... Uh, the example is uh, you know, implausible in the case of a 10-year-old child, but you know, imagine a much younger child. You know, child's just totally, let's say, um, you know, being so young is just totally unaware of the very notion of having to work to go and earn money and buy food. Um, has no idea of such a thing. Right? All the child knows is that sometimes dad's home, other times dad's not home. Um, yeah, you know, dad leaves in the morning and he comes back at home. Has no understanding of the fact that when dad's gone, he has to go and exert himself to earn money to buy the things that are in the pantry. You know? um, to the extent that the child is unaware of that, the child is going to neglect, right? Naturally and obviously, he's going to neglect to say, oh, thanks dad, thanks for the effort that you put in. Thanks for exerting yourself so that I could eat these chips or indeed, you know, eat anything at all or have this house or have my PlayStation, you know, have my iPad, have my clothing, or have any of the things that I have, right? So, you know, in exactly that same way, to the extent that human beings are immersed in a world of apparent causes, they quite often forget about the fact that, hey, it is Allah who is meeting our needs, right? Therefore, they forget to give thanks. They don't give thanks uh, to the extent that's required of them. Now, this notion of thanks, uh, and I hasten to add, it's not limited merely to uh, the verbal act of giving thanks. All right. Giving thanks is done in all kinds of ways. Right. Uh, moreover, Allah expects from us thanks in all kinds of ways. Right. Some of those ways are these. Like, yes, we do need to say thank you. Right. Um, we do need to say alhamdulillah in that verbal sense. Um, however, we do also need to go and at the prescribed times, we need to perform salah. Um, uh, Allah has made that quite obligatory in the same way that he's made the bismillah at the start of eating and the alhamdulillah at the end of eating obligatory he's made salah obligatory All right. so that the person who doesn't perform salah for example is failing to be thankful for Allah's meeting every single one of his or her needs right? so it's, a, it's an outrageous act of thanklessness right? to neglect to perform salah you know we've discussed in the past and you know, we ought to discuss again in the future to neglect to perform salah, for example, or to neglect to do any of the obligatory things that Allah imposes upon us, that Allah asks us to do, or commands us to do, rather, right, is just an outrageous act of thanklessness because it overlooks the fact that, yeah, every time I go to that pantry, it's Allah who puts that food there. All right? Even though it looks like it was my dad who went and worked and bought the chips and put them in the pantry, really, it's Allah who facilitated all of that. You know, um, so we've got to perform salah. If Allah says do that, we've got to do that. But also we've got to do this. 
if Allah says to do certain um, things and avoid a certain set of things. For example, Aiden, if Allah says avoid things that are haram and do things that are good, right? So Allah says that. Allah says, let's say, don't swear when you when you're at school and you're playing in the yard. Don't swear. Don't fight. Um, don't be mean to the other kids. That's, Allah says that, right? Uh, if you go and do those sorts of things, despite Allah's telling you not to, it's yet another way of showing that you're not thankful, right? Whenever we comply with some divine command, right? in other words, whenever for Allah's sake, right, you know, like keep bearing in mind that how Allah doesn't like me to do this thing, so I'm going to avoid that thing for that reason, right? Whenever we act in that way, it's yet another way. It's like a non-verbal, it's a non-speaking way of saying thanks, Allah. For all the things that you give me on a moment by moment basis. Um, thanks for every breath that I'm able to take. Thanks for every moment in time for which I'm able to retain my vision and my hearing. You know, uh, thanks for the fact that my arm doesn't fall um, off my shoulder. All right. You know, um, all of these things are thankworthy things. Right? Did you know that? Did you? Did, did, you know who who thinks of that? I've got to say, you know, um, probably a few of us, right? Probably a few of us remember um, that we're in need of Allah, that thanks are due to Allah right? for every particle of our body maintaining its position, okay? Um, so to be reminded of our weakness and poverty, right? in other words, to be reminded of the fact that uh, we don't procure any of our own needs, right? Um, we have countless needs. We have more needs than any other kind of creature. More needs than the tree, more needs than the animal, more needs than the particle, more needs than anyone, but no, no capability of meeting any of those needs ourselves. All right. um, if something can remind us of that, whether we've done wrong or not, right? let's say I've not done the wrongdoing that's precipitated this coronavirus. All right, let's pretend. Right, let's pretend Aiden's young, he's only 10, he's not committed the kinds of wrongdoing right, that have precipitated on Allah's part this coronavirus or this earthquake or whatever other calamity um, uh, that you want to think of. Right? Um, right, let's say that Aiden is too young um, so that he's not really culpable. Nonetheless, right, if something will remind him at some level, commensurate with his level of intelligence and understanding. Right? If something will remind him of the fact that, oh wow, hey, um, I'm in need of Allah all the time. All right, like, like how, how, how you might think, how might a child be um, reminded of his or her weakness and poverty in the midst of a coronavirus? Well, easy, simple as this, right? Sees that dad is at home and can't go to work, you know, and thinks, well, you know, um, or maybe is reminded by his parents and then agrees that he ought to do this, for example, right? I better make dua to Allah that my dad can get his job back at some point, right? So that he can still go to the pantry and get food, all right? So even a child can be reminded of his need to make, uh, his, or her, his or her need to make dua, right? You know, uh, yeah, all kinds of beings, right? To the extent of their, you know, consciousness, to the extent of their, you know, intelligence, they can be reminded of their uh, weakness and poverty. Okay. Um, now, very, very young children, like babies, are another category. You know, um, 
speak about that, you know, another time, you know, because that's a whole separate question. Like, why is it that sometimes Allah inflicts um, some, say, severe and incurable and painful disease on a, you know, baby, right, that has very minimal intelligence, very minimal knowledge, let's say, right? That's a separate question, um, which we'll talk about another time, you know, but, yeah, we, we, we've been talking last week and this week uh, in general, right, about the, the beings that can be reminded of their weakness and poverty, right? And that's a very wide range of beings. Right? We, we can be reminded of our weakness and poverty, our neediness, right? our desperate need for Allah, meeting our needs moment by moment, right? We can be reminded of that. And to whatever extent we're able to be reminded of that, that I mentioned last week is not just a minor good, it's an infinite good. Right? It's an infinite good. Right? Why was that the case? Uh, this is critically important. Right? When, uh, when I do experience some goodness in the world, right? Even something as simple as enjoying a chip out of a packet, when I'm aware of the fact that thanks is due to Allah for that, what happens is that, yeah, I reach into the packet, um, I eat the chip, I enjoy its taste, I'm nourished by it, you know, all kinds of things happen that are largely unseen by me, you know, I digest it, um, nutrients from that food go to various cells of my body and so on, you know, um, I, I experience good in various ways, okay. Um, in doing that, what I'm having actually is what I referred to last week is an experiential knowledge of the beauty and perfection of a being of infinite beauty and perfection. Okay, so you know, knowing Allah is not always done, is not uh, merely done, I should say, in the intellectual sense of knowing, right? In the propositional sense of knowing. Um, so, right, like here, here's one way of knowing Allah, right? Here's the propositional way. I know the proposition, right? I know that this proposition is true, let's pretend. I know that when I enjoy the taste of a chip or a sip of tea, right? when I enjoy the taste of that, that thanks are due to Allah, that that is thanks to Allah having mercy and compassion for me and meeting my needs, all right? Um, so to know that, right, is to know Allah in one way. It's to know him propositionally. Okay? It's to know him sort of in the, in the intellectual sense, let's say. But then there are other ways of knowing Allah, like the very tasting of the food, right? the enjoying of the pleasure of the food. That's knowing the beauty of, let's say, Allah's artistry, right? uh, Allah's compassion. Right? It's knowing the beauty of these aspects of Allah, right? these names and attributes of Allah, through actually having that experience. Right? Um, now, I say that the experiential way of knowing a being, right, or knowing something, um, is more full-bodied, right? It's, it's more full-bodied than merely an intellectual way of, of knowing something. Like, uh, just compare these two ways of knowing, let's say, um, playing soccer, right? Aiden, right? Pretend this. Right? Let's say that I give you a book, all right? Um, I give you a book, and in that book, are all these words and sentences about how to play soccer and what it's like to play soccer. Yeah, imagine that you read that and now you learn something about playing soccer. Yeah, let's pretend. Now, you've not played much soccer in your life, have you, right? You played very minimal soccer, right? You tend to play Fortnite or whatever, right? Roblox. Okay, so you've not played much soccer, but let's pretend you read 
whole bunch of sentences about it. So you know something about playing soccer. Right? Can that compare? Is that same sort of knowledge as this? Right? Let's pretend that you go to um, a soccer club and you're trained by a soccer coach for many years and then eventually you go out onto a soccer pitch and you play in a soccer match against another team and you actually smell the grass and you actually hear all the sounds and you actually know what it feels like to kick the ball and you know the exhilaration of kicking the ball into the back of the net and scoring a goal just before the siren sounds so that your team wins the game. You know the exhilaration and the excitement, etc., etc., of that. Right? You feel all those feelings. You smell all those smells. You, you hear all those sounds. Now that is uh, a completely different kind of knowledge to just reading about it in a book, isn't it? Right? It's a more full-bodied knowledge, right? It's a, it's a qualitatively superior knowledge, right? Why? Because actually it comes together with intellectual knowledge too, right? Of course, of course, in kicking that ball and playing that game and hearing those sounds and smell, you know, smelling the grass, right? You're also knowing those relevant propositions as well, right? So you kind of get both. You get both in the one, but the person who just reads the propositions, in other words, reads the sentences in a book, he only gets the one kind of knowledge. All right. So, you know, to come to know Allah right, through being reminded of your weakness and poverty is an infinite good because you get to experience the infinite beauty of a, of a being of infinite beauty and perfection. Um, so it's an extraordinarily valuable thing. All right. Uh, you know, to go, imagine this, imagine you live your entire life right? totally ignorant of the fact that some being has been nurturing you, caring for you, watching over you, meeting your most intimate, right? your most minor and your most significant needs, right? all at once. Imagine you went through your whole life totally ignorant of that. That would be a great, great loss. Right? The lion's share of the beauty in life would be lost on you. Okay? Um, because isn't that true, right? Isn't it true that the beauty... There is great... Let, let me put it this way. There is great, great beauty in knowing that some being has uh, cared for you in a given instance. Right? Like, imagine this again. Um, you know, uh, uh, I come home, you know, uh, and there's, there's a cake, right? There's a box, right? In that box is a cake. I open the box, I eat the cake. Um, and, uh, you know, judging by the box and the quality of the cake and so on, you know, I assume that my wife has bought this, right? Mum, let's pretend, has, right? Let's say you and I ate them, both of us. We assume that mum has bought this from a shop. We don't know which shop, but we assume she's bought it from the shop and we eat it and we enjoy it. And, you know, there's a certain value in that. There's a certain beauty in that, right? There, uh, we derive certain happiness from that, let's say. Yeah, okay. Um, but let's say that, right? Much to our surprise, right? we didn't know this, but much to our surprise, it was actually mum who made that cake for us, right? Let's say that mum made that cake for us and it's just that the reason why it was in a box was because, yeah, you know, she, she had a box lying around, she didn't want it to dry out, or whatever, you know. Um, she didn't want some harm to come to the cake, and she put it in the box, you know. Um, to know that 
someone has thought about us, right, has cared about us enough to actually go to great effort, right, to spend a number of hours going out and buying ingredients, right, putting in the effort to make a cake, etc., etc. To know that someone has thought and cared about us right, um, and decided to try to meet our needs, right, decided to tantalise our taste buds, let's say, to know that right, is beautiful in a way right, that the other situation wasn't. Right? You know, yeah, of course, it's quite different. Like, it's quite different when you know, someone just um, goes to minimal effort to meet one of your needs compared to when they go to great effort, let's say. Or, yeah, you know, um, yeah, you know, just in general. Like, I mean, let's pretend that we think that, you know, the rain, let's say, right? Here's a good example. We think that the rain comes from the clouds. Yeah, right? We, we mistakenly think that. That rain um, allows us to drink water, let's say. Let's say we live on a farm. You know, we collect rainwater. We use that water to, let's say, bathe and drink and so on. Um, without that water, we'll literally die, Right? Uh, our crops won't be watered and we won't be able to eat and we will literally die, let's pretend, Aiden, right? Um, if we think that that rain comes from a cloud and that cloud is nothing but just a chance event, right? That cloud's being there right, is just purely due to yeah, just chance events, the random coming together of atoms to form a cloud, all right? Um, the beauty in that whole scenario, right, is vastly diminished compared to this, compared to knowing that, you know what, that cloud up there, it's uh, not actually just uh, the chance coming together of particles. Rather, that cloud, right, is this, right? it's a collection of atoms that's been brought together by an infinitely powerful being, right, who then causes, with his power, rain to come from that cloud, all right, so the cloud, in other words, the rain comes from the cloud rather than, let's say, the ground, right? rather than some other location. Right? Allah decides that the rain's going to come from that so that he can meet all of our various needs so that we can continue to live. Right? So there's, a great, there's a far greater beauty in knowing that than thinking that, no, that rain is just thanks to some entity that is unconscious, non-living, uh, totally incapable of taking pity on us, caring about us, wanting to meet our, uh, you know, wanting to try to meet our needs. The two situations are vastly different. Okay? The majority, right, the overwhelming majority right, of the beauty to be experienced in this world is dependent upon knowing right, that that beauty is being manifested by a being that cares about us. That's wherein the beauty actually lies. Right? So therefore, to be reminded of our weakness and poverty is an infinitely valuable thing. Right? Um, that's probably too long-winded. <laughs> My apologies for that. But you know, uh, these, for those that weren't with us uh, last week, you know, uh, these are really, really important um, uh, matters to know about Allah. You know, because it goes to the very core of our... Um, it goes to the very heart of the reason why, uh, why we exist. We exist to worship Allah in these ways, you know. Um, so these are critically important matters. Therefore, to be reminded of our weakness and poverty through any means whatsoever um, is a great, great good. Our enjoying beauty, think of it that way. Our enjoying and 
experiencing beauty, our being able to know beauty both propositionally and otherwise, right, is dependent upon it largely because we always forget that's the, that's the sort of being that we are. We are forgetful of the fact that the hand of Allah's mercy and compassion is acting at every moment in our lives. Okay. Um, that's, in a nutshell, the perspective from which we viewed the issue last week. Um, let me read now just um, some very short um, question and answer. Um, uh, yeah, just a, just a very short section from the Disali Nur, right, that's in question and answer form, right, where Bidizuman's going to talk about uh, earthquakes, right, and again, we can transpose the issue of an earthquake to our current situation, right, this current um, uh, health crisis, right? This current coronavirus uh, matter, right? Um, you know, in general, what Bedizaman says, in other words, about earthquakes right, is going to be largely applicable uh, to our current uh, situation, right? Uh, so, yeah, just very brief um, questions and answers in relation to that, and we'll come back and talk about that, inshallah. So again, this is the addendum to the 14th word. Okay. And it starts with the rendition uh, in English um, of the meaning of a verse in the Quran. Bismillah rahman rahim When the earth is shaken to its utmost convulsion, and the earth throws up its burdens from within, and man cries distressed, what is the matter with it? On that day will it declare its tidings, for that your sustainer will have given it inspiration. Okay, it's the end of the uh, verse, or verses. This surah states definitively, sorry, this surah states definitely that in its movements and earthquakes, the earth shakes at a command on receiving revelation and inspiration. And sometimes it trembles. Okay, so when there are earthquakes, right? First thing, first thing the Bedouzaman's pointing out here: when there are earthquakes, right? Exactly like how we spoke about rain coming from the cloud, right? When that rain comes from that cloud, it cannot be from anyone other than Allah. Right? It cannot be from the cloud. Similarly, when the earth shakes in an earthquake, right? it shakes on a command from Allah. In other words, Allah makes it shake. Allah causes it. Okay, so exactly the same thing can be said about the coronavirus. Right? Uh, if there is a coronavirus that's spreading person to person, right? if there can exist such a thing right, as this virus in you know vast quantities, right? it can only be due to Allah. If it moves from, if it spreads from person to person, it can only be due to Allah. In reply to six or seven minor questions in connection with the present earthquakes, importantly to do with their meaning, the answers occur to me with the prompting that they should be of the same nature. Although on several occasions I intended to write them in detail, permission was not given, so they shall be written briefly and in short. Aiden, could you do me a favour? Do you know how to switch that off? Um, you go to the on-off button and you hold the... Um, you'll see it. There's a button that says on-off. Just hold it until it stops. Okay? Can you do that? 
So the first question. More distressing than the material disaster of the present severe earthquake is its immaterial aspects. The fear and despair at further earthquakes is destroying the nightly rest of most of the people in most areas. What is the reason for this terrible torment? Okay, so what Bajizamun's asking here rhetorically, right? Or the, the, you know, um, yeah, the, the, the question asker here is asking. When there are things like earthquakes, okay, not only are there certain material disadvantages, right? You know, for example, our you know house um, crumbles, all right? We lose our home, we lose our possessions. Right? Not only though are they uh, are there those sorts of sort of physical or material um, uh, disadvantages or problems, right? but also there's this sort of non-physical. Thanks for that. This is also non-physical aspect to it, right? Um, there's this fear that we f that that, uh, that we experience, right? Isn't it true, Aiden? Isn't this true? Okay. So here, right, we've got the coronavirus. Yeah. Um, on the one hand, right, it affects us in this way. Uh, now dad can't work, right? Uh, now dad can't earn as much money. Okay. Um, so now we can't buy as many things. Right? That's one problem, right? But then there's this other thing, right? There's the fear that it causes us. Okay. Now, Bedizamon's talking about this aspect of it as an immaterial, right? Uh, in other words, a non-physical effect of, uh, in this case, the earthquake, but in our case, the coronavirus. Um, why is fear something immaterial? Well, because it's a felt reality. Okay? It's something that you feel. It's something that you experience in your mind. Um, you can't do this, for example. Right. Can you, Aiden? Can you do this? Can you bring me um, some fear uh, and put it in front of me so that I can see what colour it is, or smell it, or cut it into pieces? Can you do that? I can't do that. sort of thing, right? To think like that, to talk like that, right, um, would be to commit a category error. Right? Things like fear and love and justice and so on, these are immaterial realities, right? These are things, um, in, in most cases, felt and experienced, right? Well, no. Um, they're not physical things, right? They're not like money. Um, uh, they're not like houses and cars, all right? So there are both these aspects, um, you know, uh, to these sorts of calamities. The question here is this. What is the reason for this terrible torment, all right? Because there is a great deal of fear, isn't there, thanks to this coronavirus, right? Primarily, right, look at this. Even though I don't have it, look at this, I fear that I'll get it. We all fear that we'll get it. We all fear that we'll transmit it to our loved ones. We fear the consequences that it will have for us if we do get it. We fear that we might die. We fear that we might have ongoing illnesses as a result of it. Uh, apparently around about 20% of people who get the coronavirus do have long-term complications, right? So we fear things like this. Uh, so what's the reason for this sort of uh, torment? Okay. The answer. Again, in regard to its meaning. It has been said, right? so the way that Benjamin's phrasing this is important, right? 
He's not saying that definitely this has got to definitely be the reason. He's not saying that you know we can know with certainty that this is the reason, but he's saying it has been said, right? In other words, maybe surmise, it may be supposed, it's possible that right? this could be the reason why Allah's causing it, right? The drunken licentious songs, right? So sexually explicit music. Some of which were performed by girls, being broadcast rapturously by means of the radio during the Tarawih prayers of the month of Ramadan in every corner of this blessed centre of Islam, resulted in the torment of this fear. Okay? So, he's saying, so at the time of writing, um, earthquakes are being uh, experienced right, where Bedizaman lives, right? It's in, in a certain part of Turkey or in Turkey generally, earthquakes are being uh, experienced. Uh, presumably this occurs some short time after Ramadan, maybe during Ramadan, let's say. Um, and Bedizaman saying, like, it's quite possible, right, that the wrongdoing that we've committed here, right, um, in terms of, right, during a blessed month, right, where everybody is meant to be exemplifying thankfulness, Right, via their obedience to Allah, right, via their fasting, via their worshiping, and so on. Right, in the most blessed month of the year, you know, rather than worshiping, rather than exhibiting thankfulness, instead, what occurred, right, was that all over the country, these sexually explicit songs. Right, you know, perhaps there was a certain song that was you know popular at the time. These sexually explicit songs are being played, you know, uh, broadcast all over. Okay, um, so that there's this general wrongdoing, right? um, in a way that was maybe unprecedented. Okay, um, yeah, you know, you got to think back to maybe how the Islamic world was, say, you know, a hundred years ago, let's say, when this was written. Um, you know, maybe those kinds of wrongdoing were quite new back then, right? Or were, you know. Um, uh, not as widespread back then. You know, maybe nowadays we think, hey, you know, look, this happens all the time. I just turn on MTV any moment of the day and you'll hear licentious uh, songs. All right. Um, but yeah, back then, you know, this might have been somewhat unprecedented. All right. So, but this is not suggesting that the reason for why there were earthquakes at that time right, might be due to that particular kind of wrongdoing. So, I'm just going to move away for a moment. Um, I'm just going to try to address a sound that's coming from the laundry. <laughs> Back in just a moment, sorry. Sorry about that. The uh, washing machine making noise. All right. Okay, so let's continue now with uh, Bidzman's question and answer here in the addendum to the 14th word. Okay. Second question. Why aren't these heavenly blows visited on those in the countries of the unbelievers? Why are they visited on the unhappy Muslims? Okay. So we could ask a similar question now, like we could say this, 
hey, um, why is it that the coronavirus, hey, right, why is it that the coronavirus affects Muslim countries, right, let's say like, you know, um, Turkey, countries in the Middle East, um, wherever, right? Uh, why is it that it's affecting countries like that? Why didn't Allah bring it about, for example, the only countries or the only people, the only places that it has an impact are where there are non-believers, right? Where there are non-Muslims or indeed atheists, right? Um, why is it that Allah yeah, you know, brings it about that even the believer suffers this? Okay? Because, you know, it begs the question, right? Since the believers... As I mentioned last week, since the believers, um, in general, like to the extent that they're, um, uh, you know, to the extent that they adhere to the religion, right? To the extent, in other words, that they're practicing Muslims, right? Uh, in, in other words, they pray, they give their cards, um, etc. They avoid, you know, the major sins, etc. Right? To the extent that the Muslim does these things um, and avoids the sorts of wrongdoing, in particular. Right, um, that say the uh, non-believers, um, you know, perhaps are more apt to commit. Right? Um, yeah, why is it that the Muslims aren't spared from these sorts of uh, calamities? Right. So the answer, just as the requital, right? So the recompense, right? They're having the payback. Just as the requital for big mistakes and crimes is postponed and made in big centres, and the requital for small crimes is made quickly in small centres as a consequence of an important instance of wisdom, the recompense of the greater part of the unbeliever's crimes is postponed to the last judgment, while the punishment for the believer's faults is in part given in this world. Okay. So, Bedizman's just touching there on this uh, specific point, right? Uh, so, when you see that, when you see that uh, the Muslims, right, uh, you know, the persons that generally try uh, to adhere to the religion, right, that generally try to comply with the divine commands, when you see these persons suffering, right, seemingly being punished, right, in general, it's going to be, right, um, quite often, you can analyse it in terms of this. Okay. We've committed certain kinds of wrongdoing, let's say. Now, Allah would prefer to do this. Right? Allah would prefer to, and indeed we would prefer to, that this occur. We would prefer that we are... Um, that we are held to account for those things now rather than in the afterlife. Okay. Um, yeah, you would much rather right, come before Allah on the day of judgment, right, having been cleansed of uh, the wrongdoing that you've done here in this world. Right? You'd much rather that that's that, that that's that one aspect of it, right? You'd not you'd you'd rather not go before Allah right, needing to be held to account for things that you've done wrong. Okay, uh, so think Aiden, right? Pretend, right? Yeah, you're older and you've done certain things wrong. Let's pretend, right? Say so you've sworn, you've stolen, um, you've not done what's required of you in various ways. Okay, 
Um, yeah, Allah commands certain things of you, commands that you pray. Uh, say you neglected to pray, you didn't get up to pray one morning. Right? You've done certain kinds of wrongdoing. Right? Would you rather be held to account for that? Face to face with Allah on the day of judgment? Or would you rather repay um, for that kind of wrongdoing here in this life? Which would you prefer? In this life. In this life, right? Because the punishments of this life, right, in general, right, uh, well, in every case, are going to be far less severe than those of the next life, right? Um, because imagine this, right? Like, like you, to understand this, like, actually, it relates directly to the kind of being that Allah is. Imagine this, right? You've got a being right, of infinite power, infinite dignity, infinite worthiness of respect, right? A being, right, of infinite awesomeness and fearsomeness. Imagine that. Right? That's the kind of being that Allah is. Now, in this life, Allah is veiled from us, all right? Um, he acts in this world all the time. Moment by moment, Allah's acting. Every particle moves only through Allah's permission. But because we make the mistake of thinking that causes uh, are efficient, in other words, you know, causes have their own power, like the cloud can cause its own rain, the atom can move on its own, and so on, right? we don't see the hand of Allah's power operating in this world. We think that, yeah, you know, um, yeah, quite simply, Allah has veiled from us. And to that extent, um, we are not face-to-face, -face, right? in the most explicit way at least. What We're not confronted with this being's grandeur. Right? You know, we're confronted with, we come face-to-face -face with Allah's grandeur only in certain circumstances like, you know, um, uh, let's say that you go to the Grand Canyon in America, this vast canyon, right? And you look over the edge, right? And you almost slip and fall. And you feel this great fear, right? Or let's say you're in, you're in the ocean and a huge wave crashes down on you and holds you under the water for a minute or two. And you think you're about to die. You think you're about to drown, right? You know, in times like that, you do. You do have an experience of Allah's fearsomeness and awesomeness. Because Allah is the creator of the Grand Canyon. Allah's the one that makes the wave crash down on you. Allah's the one who holds you under the ground, right? You are, whether you realize it or not, you're coming face to face there, right? Um, with Allah's Jalali, right? Names and attributes, right? Allah's names of majesty, Allah's names of awesomeness and fearsomeness, right? Grandeur, bigness, in other words. Fearsomeness, awesomeness, okay? Um, in general, this is all veiled from us, all right? By and large, this is veiled from us. Um, now, on the day of judgment, right, the wrongdoer is going to be is going to be face to face with the jalali names and attributes of Allah. Right? Just the mere act of being held to account by Allah. Like imagine this: you are brought to right on the day of judgment. You are brought to be questioned by Allah. You are brought to be held to account by Allah, right? the most important being in the entire created realm. Right? Like, um, think about it like this. Right? Imagine that you've done something wrong at school. Right? And you've done something so wrong that you don't get in trouble from your teacher, but now you're dragged to the principal's office. Right? Which is scarier, when you get in trouble from your teacher or from the principal? 
Of course. Why? Because the principal has a position of greater authority in that school. All right. So, yeah, in a sense, the principal has a kind of grandeur that the teacher doesn't. All right. In a sense, the teacher is the, you know, is the object of, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the teacher is in a sense fearsome, if you will, uh, in a way that the, um, rather the principal is fearsome in a way that the teacher is not. Okay, which is what I meant to say. Um, okay, well now, magnify that example infinitely. Now imagine, not the principal of a school, not the prime minister of a country, not the leader of the whole world, right? but rather the creator of heavens and the earth. The creator, not just of this universe, but of all the realms. The creator of heaven and of hell, and of this universe, right? and everything in all of those things. The most dignified being, right? In other words, a being is infinitely worthy of respect. A being of absolute dignity is holding you to account. Imagine that. Okay. This is just being questioned. This is not even being punished yet. Right? This is not, like it said this, right? A great, great act of compassion, right? Uh, and indeed, an instance in which our Prophet intercedes on our part right? on the Day of Judgment, right, takes this form. You are, you are found guilty of certain crimes and you're sent to walk toward hell. Picture that. Right? You are sent to walk toward hell. You think you're going to hell, maybe for a long time. Right? You're going toward hell and at that point in time, our Prophet ﷺ intercedes. He asks Allah to forgive you and Allah accepts that intercession and He forgives you. Right Now, just in that, right? in that is an indescribable relief and indescribable good for you all right just the act of being so, so so from that you can understand just how severe punishment it is just to be sent toward hell not even going to hell but merely to be sent toward it right so when you consider these sorts of things like when you consider the grandeur the awesomeness the fearsomeness right um of allah and the manifestation of his Jalali names and attributes on that day, right? And in general in the afterlife, right? You would much rather be held to account here. Okay. Um, so what happens is that, yeah, Allah in his infinite mercy and compassion, right? Allah is an infinitely forgiving being, right? In other words, his attribute of forgiving, his forgivingness, right, is qualitatively perfect. It's in no way deficient, okay? It's it's completely perfect. And one way in which it manifests is like this. He deals with you in this life rather than the next. And that's a great, great good. So that when we see the Muslims being punished, we're seeing a manifestation of what Bidjizman talks about here. You know, because the Muslims' crimes in general, like of course there'll be some Muslims who are great, great wrongdoers. I don't say that you know the Muslim is incapable of doing wrong. Of course, the Muslim can do wrong too. But in general, okay, in general, right, to the extent that the Muslims engage in um, lesser wrongdoing and you know, avoid the sorts of wrongdoing that say that the atheist commits, right? I mean, the atheist commits a great wrong. He commits unbelief, right? If he's culpable for his, you know, uh, atheism, he's a kafir, right? And that is an enormous wrong. 
Okay. So that the wrongs of the Muslim commits are nothing compared to that. All right. So the crimes that the Muslim commits are, are relatively uh, less, lesser, right? They're, they're lesser in magnitude compared to the, let's say, the kafirs. So when you see the Muslim suffering at the hands of an earthquake or via a coronavirus or something like this, right, quite often what it is, right, quite often the reason why the Muslim is suffering that right, is because it's a manifestation of Allah's um, compassion in this way. That person, that Muslim is being dealt with here so that they don't need to be dealt with in the more severe way, right, which is the being dealt with in the afterlife. Okay. All right, let's see if we can, for our remaining time, uh, we've been going, I think, 52 minutes, right? So for, in, in our last couple of minutes, let's look at one or two more um, of these questions regarding why we, uh, we suffer these calamities. Okay. Okay. What is the reason for this disaster? Right, this is the third question. What is the reason for this disaster which arises from the wrongdoing of a few individuals occurring to some degree in general fashion in the country. All right. So here's the thing, right? Like I mentioned this again last week. What happens is that some, some persons have done wrong, right? but it looks like the whole country or the whole world, let's say, is suffering. Right? Isn't it the case that a large proportion of the world is at the moment in some way affected by the coronavirus? True? True or not? And we're all suffering in some way. Like, look, right? for example, I'm stuck here, can't go to work, can't do halakha, Melbourne Uni, right? you can't go to school. Um, we're all stuck inside the house. We can't go and meet with our friends. We're all in some way affected. Right? But right, presumably, let's say, um, yeah, you know, the ones that have done the wrong doing, it looks to us at least, you know, the ones that have done the wrong doing, they're few in number. Um, uh, you know, most of us have avoided those kinds of wrongdoing, but we're all affected. All right. Uh, what's the answer? The general disaster results from the wrongdoing of the majority. Most people, in effect, participate in the actions of those tyrannical individuals by supporting them either actively or morally or in some connection. Okay, so maybe let's finish on this point. This goes on for some time, you know, and it's well worth a read in your own time. Uh, if you want to have a yeah, more in-depth understanding of, you know, why it is, like, you know, of course, none knows the unseen save Allah, so that, you know, these reasons are um, general rather than specific. You know, in other words, Bedouzman's not saying here that, you know, these are specifically and definitely the reasons, but he's speaking in general terms. These are what most likely could be the reasons, right? If you want to have a more in-depth understanding of that, I do recommend that you read the addendum to the 14th word in full. Uh, it's not too long. It's a few pages. Um, we'll finish today just... Um, by having a brief chat uh, just about this final third question here. Um, so it's this situation here, right? Yeah, you know, we think that, hey, only some persons have done, you know, wrongdoing, yet we're all uh, suffering, okay? Um, well, Bedouzaman's suggesting that, well, actually, maybe we're wrong about that, you know? Um, maybe it's not the case that um, the wrongdoers are so few in number, all right? Um, 
you can see that you know maybe a lot of us are contributing to wrongdoing right most a lot of us are wrongdoers in some sense when you consider this right think about this item right? what are the different ways in which i can do some wrong okay um, think about that think about a certain kind of wrong right here i'm going to paint a picture for you right all right pretend now you're at high school right so that now you're accountable you're older now right you're say 16 now uh, and now right, given that you're a more mature person Allah is holding you to account for your deeds right? not just your deeds but also for your heart okay right, we'll talk about that in a second all right so you're that kind of person you're at school now there's a fight in the schoolyard all right you see that right there's some kid just walking along minding his or her own business is right? um, wearing these sort of funny very thick glasses and these other kids are teasing him right and um you know where and, and 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 then when the kid tries to walk away they decide to beat him up right so quite unjustified the kid you can see everyone can see has done nothing wrong the only mistake the child oh, sorry sorry the only mistake this teenager has committed is this right he doesn't see so well so he has to wear thick glasses and the other kids have seen that as a basis upon which to tease him and beat him up all right um now you're standing back from this and you're watching let's say um you did not tease the kid you did not hit the kid you didn't physically assist in any way right um could it be possible that you still done something wrong there or do you think you're entirely innocent i think they're not innocent you think so right let me tell you now right there are various ways, right, in which you could have done wrong, wrongdoing there, right? Because, sure, I've got a hadith here uh, in relation to this, right? Here it is, right? Let me read this hadith, right? A lot of us will be familiar with this. Okay, on the authority of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, Allah be pleased with him, who said, right? so this is one of the Prophet wasallam's companions, right, um, uh, narrating this. He's saying that I heard the messenger of Allah, right, our Prophet وسلم, say, Whosoever of you sees an evil, let him change it with his hand. And if he is not able to do so, then let him change it with his tongue. And if he is not able to do so, then with his heart. And that is the weakest of faith. Okay. So, there's a certain kind of wrongdoing being done. Let's pretend, right? Kids are beating up another kid just because he's got thick glasses. All right. Now, what our Prophet, peace be upon him, here is telling us is that if we see some evil like that, we've got to try to intervene. We've got to try to stop it. Now, what if you say, well, look, if I had intervened, then maybe those kids would have beaten me up too because they were big year 12 kids and I'm just a you know year 9 kid, let's say, right? Um okay um then what our prophet would would say is this well okay if you can't stop that evil with your hand right if you can't stop those kids with your hand from beating them up then what you've got to do is you've got to address it with your with your tongue what do you think that means yeah you can tell them to stop or you can go and tell a teacher right um you can, you can use your tongue in different ways, in other words, right? To stop that. But let's say you didn't do that, right? 
to the extent that you failed to stop it with your hand, right? Of course, you're accountable for these things if you could have stopped them with the, in those ways, right? If you could have. So let's say that, you know, you weren't strong enough to stop them with your hand, but maybe you could have gone and told the teacher. But let's say you didn't do that, right? But let's say you said to me that, no, um, in, in, in this situation, there were reasons for why I couldn't stop it, neither with my hand, right? nor with my tongue. I couldn't say anything, because right? if I had to say anything, they were going to grab me and bash me there and then too. All right? um, you know what you've got to do at the very least? You've got to change it with your heart. Right? So what does that mean? Well, what we've got to do is like, like remember I spoke about the heart pretty sure last week or the week before. You know? Um, you know, the heart is this faculty that we have, right? It's the seed of belief. It's the seat of love and hatred. It's described in this way in the religion. Um, in general, right, our heart is our set of beliefs, our set of values. Right? All the things that we think are true, all the things that we think are good, all the things that we think are right. right? So now let's pretend right, that in my heart is this belief. Let's say that I think this, right? or you, Aiden, think this. Let's say you think, oh, it's good that those kids beat up that kid. Let's say that you think that. Would you be, a, would you be doing wrong there or right? But hang on, you didn't, you didn't hit the kid with your hand. You didn't shout at him with your tongue. You didn't do anything. All you did was just believe something. But you still think that you did something wrong, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's quite obvious that you did something wrong. So here's the thing. Like, right? It's important. Right? In Allah's view, it's important, the heart that you have. All right? What the human being is going to be judged the basis upon which the human being is going to be judged, right, are two things, right? One, your choices, right? Your actions, which really brought, just boil down to your choices, yeah? You know, seems that Allah's the one who causes all physical events, right? Really, all we can do is make choices. Now, I spoke about that last week as well. You're going to be held to account for those choices, all right? Now, secondly, and related to that, you're going to be held to account for this, right? All the things that you believe, now, the things that you believe, they're things that you choose to believe. Okay? Um, right. um, in general, right, in general, they're things, right, when, 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 when you believe something, right, you know, but for certain examples, you know, um, uh, you know, maybe in the case of certain necessary truths where it's impossible not to believe that thing, let's say, um, certain rare circumstances, right? In general, right, we believe things depending upon how we think about that thing depending on how we use our free will in respect of that thing. Right. So I can do this. Right? I can choose to think about that event like this. I can think, well, you know, hey, um, look, you know, um, those kids, they didn't really do anything that bad. Like, they didn't beat him up that badly. You know, uh, hey, it's that kid's fault that he wore those glasses. He shouldn't have worn those glasses. Um, you know, I can think about it in those ways. I can choose to form that set of beliefs about that event, right? Um, so if I choose to believe those sorts of things, then what I would be doing is I would be fashioning my heart, right, um, uh, in an incorrect way, right? I would have a corrupted heart to that extent. I would have a blackened heart to that extent. Right? If I want to have a beautiful heart, in other words, if I want to be a beautiful person, then, yeah, I'll try to, in every case, I'll try to, Think of events, right? form beliefs in the way that Allah wants me to. Right? 
So if my conscience, if my wisdom tells me that a certain thing is bad, then yeah, I'll, you know, I won't try to rationalize that. I won't try to talk myself out of thinking about it that way. Um, I'll in fact agree that yes, that is wrong, right? So yeah, you know, I see that some kid's being beaten up, let's say, right? My conscience tells me that that's bad, and I say, yes, that is bad, right? In my mind. So this all occurs in the mind. Right? The heart is shaped by you know, how you choose, how you think about things. Right? Now, thinking about things in that way, right? judging the ugly to be ugly, in other words, judging the wrong to be wrong, right? choosing to dislike bad actions and things like that, that is the minimum that Allah expects of you. All right? uh, of course, Allah expects more, than, more from you than that. To the extent that you're able to do so, right, you know, you've got to do more than just form the right beliefs about things. Right? If you can go and help that child being beaten up, if you can go and get help, if you can address that situation with you know, your hand and your tongue, then of course you've got to do that. Right? But to the extent that you cannot, right, the least that you can do is at least think about it the right way, at least form the right beliefs about it. Right? In other words, at least... In your heart say, hey, that's wrong. That's not good what they're doing. All right. Now, so what happens, right? Now, coming back to our situation of, you know, general calamities, right, coronaviruses and earthquakes and things of that nature, being visited upon, right? I'm going to finish on this point, eight, right? Being visited upon, you know, the community at large, right? You know, we think that we've not done any wrong, right? But the reality might be different, Bethesda's saying. The reality might be that, We've not, whereas we were meant to address wrongdoing, we were meant to, what does it say here, right? Change evil, right? At the very least with our hearts, we fail to do that, okay? We fail to do, we fail to manifest just even the weakest form of faith, all right? In other words, we fail to do the minimum that Allah asks of us, all right? Um, and that is, again, as I mentioned right back at the start of this discussion, it's yet another way of being thankless to Allah. All of these acts of goodness that we do, let's say, you know, a child's being beaten up so that we condemn it, at least in our hearts. It's just yet another way of showing Allah that we're thankful to him. Okay. Um, Allah is moment by moment. This is the key thing to recall, right? Moment by moment, Allah is meeting our needs. Right? Every moment that you breathe, every moment that you exist, every moment that you're alive, every moment that you're still conscious, that you still have your memories, that you still have your intelligence, right? All of these are a great, great, um, uh, you know, uh, bounty. They're a great, great bounty from Allah, right? Um, and thanks to you for every single one of these things. So the least we can do is at least, right, in the face of wrongdoing, at least condemn it with our hearts. Right? You know, and we fail to do so, therefore we need to be reminded. Therefore we need to be woken up, right? So that's in general um, the sorts of reasons that, uh, you know, Bethesda Man's citing. Um, so I'm going to leave it there for today. Uh, thanks very much to everyone that's been able to join us. Thank you, especially Aidan, who's taken... Um, uh, an hour or so out from his busy schedule 
um, producing YouTube videos <laughs> to come and help his dad today. So thanks again. Uh, I guess I might need to call upon you uh, every week, Aiden, uh, until the coronavirus is over, mate. So you better make dua to Allah this is all over soon, buddy. <laughs> you better do that soon, otherwise you're going to be stuck helping your dad. <laughs> um, so thank you to Aiden and thank you to everyone who has uh, tuned in and listened to this uh, live stream or podcast. And inshallah, you can join us again next week, um, you know, hopefully at around 4.30. Subhanaka la ilma lana illa ma'alamtana innaka antal alim al-hakim ala rasulina as-salawat Allahumma salli ala sayyidina Muhammad Okay, we're going to say the Fatiha now Lillah al-Fatiha Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alhamdulillah Rahman Rahman Amin